Good morning. It's good to see everyone out today. If you consider yourself a visitor this morning, we just want to say welcome. We are glad that you're here with us. And uh, if you do consider yourself a visitor, please fill out one of those cards in the back of the pews. Pass it off to one of our leaders in the back. We would love an opportunity to get to know you better. If you'd like to study, if you'd like, if there's a way we can serve you, let us know. We're here for any of the visitors. If you consider yourself a member of the congregation this morning, I also want to say welcome. We are certainly glad that you are here with us. It's always good to see each and every one of your faces. You know, something I've been thinking about a lot in my life recently is dependability. Am I a dependable person? Who can I depend on in my life? Whenever times are going great and whenever things are going really poorly, who do I depend on? It's not my coworkers. It's not my boss. It's not the people I went to high school with. It's not my college roommates, my friends from college. It's you people. You're the people I can depend on. I appreciate each and every one of you being here today, and I love you very much. This morning, if you would, grab a Bible in front of you or open up a Bible app on your phone and turn with me to John chapter 1. I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version this morning, so if you're on a Bible app, you can switch over to you know, the ESV. So about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, I'm sitting at home. I've been working at home for two years now since the beginning of the pandemic. So I'm sitting there on the couch, and I hear a knock on the door. And so I jump up. I throw on some pants, run to the door, and I look through the peephole, and I see two young ladies standing outside the door. It's a little weird. And so I crack open the door, and I say, uh, ladies, how can I help you? And one of the ladies says, hey, sir, we're with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. To be honest with you, I don't know what else they said. I don't, I don't know that I was listening anymore after that. And I said, ladies, 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 I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not interested. I don't believe what you believe. And I shut the door in their face. Now this morning, I'm not telling you that you as a Christian need to invite Mormons into your home when they come knocking on your door. That's not what I'm saying. You don't, you don't need to bring that into your life if you're not ready for it. But that being said, we as Christians have a duty to give an answer for the hope that is within us. We have a duty to defend the gospel. And so that's what this study is going to be about this morning. help me out (laughs) all right so if you would open up to John chapter 1 with me real quick there we go John chapter 1 in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was in the beginning with God all things were made through him and without him was not anything made That was made. You skip down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Folks, that is all you need right there to defeat so much of the false doctrine out there in the world. Right there, we have the deity of Christ. It explains the reincarnation, how God, Jesus was with God there in the beginning. And He was God and is God. And then he lowered himself, emptied himself of deity, and entered into his own creation, God incarnate in the flesh. Keep John chapter 1 in your back pockets. Remember John chapter 1. When those Mormons came to my door that day, I was not ready to defend the faith. 
But I want to tell you what we just read, John chapter 1, is all you need. It's nothing fancy, nothing super in-depth, just John chapter 1. Now you see, you don't have to be ready to give an answer for everything. Just have John chapter 1 in your back pocket. You don't have to have this whole book memorized front to back, but you do need to be able to give an answer for the hope that is in you. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 15 says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Make a defense for the hope that is in you. Are you ready to defend the gospel? You know, I know many of you here this morning really enjoy sports. Sports is a big part of our lives. And if you're a fan of any sport, football, basketball, baseball, you know that defense wins championships. Defense is important. It's how we win games, and as Christians, quite frankly, we want to win. Not just win arguments, but to win souls. That is our goal, to win souls to Christ, to win the race. And so we strive to be disciples of Christ. We strive to sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron. And we strive to put ourselves in positions where we can defend the faith and win people over. And brothers and sisters, you don't have to know everything. Listen, nobody here this morning is perfect. But, and, and I think many times we need to learn to be okay with saying, I don't know. Let me get back to you. But with that being said, we as disciples of Christ are given that commandment to be prepared, to make a defense so when that Mormon missionary comes to your door, when the atheist at work starts to ask you some tough questions, or maybe when your kids start asking you some questions around the dinner table, why do we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? John chapter 1. Why do we believe that Jesus Christ created all things? John chapter 1. Why do we believe that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, God incarnate? It's John chapter 1. Now that may sound a little simplistic, but please understand, my goal today is not to teach you about Mormonism or Joseph Smith. Now we're going to do some of that, but rather my goal today is to make sure that you are ready to provide a defense of Christianity. You see, the Bible gives us clear and consistent teaching throughout all the scripture that there will be false teachers who arise, false prophets, false apostles. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 13-15, for such men are false apostles, Deceitful workmen disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their ends will correspond to their deeds. Paul is giving us a stark warning here. We need to be careful. We need to be guarded. The New Testament speaks of Satan as a roaring lion roaming about seeking whom he may devour. That's why it's important that we acknowledge the existence of false religion and false belief systems and prepare ourselves for these battles, these coming moments. We've got to put on the full armor of God. This morning I'm going to give you a surface level teaching of the LDS Church, and then I'm going to arm you with some tools, the belt of truth, the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, so that you are prepared for the flaming darts of the devil that we read about in Ephesians 6. They're going to be coming at you and your household. I want to make it clear this morning. Mormons are not Christians. Now they might call themselves Christians, some Mormons will, 
but they worship a different God and a different Jesus than we do. And I don't say that to be harsh. I'm not trying to bash Mormons today, but I do say it to make sure that we're all on the same page. Because what I'm about to go through is, might be surprising to you if you're not familiar with the LDS church. But do not be deceived. Mormons are not Christians. They fundamentally believe a different God, believe in a different God, a different Jesus, and a different gospel. We are not persecuting Mormons here today. This is about truth or falsity. If Mormonism is true, then I want to be a Mormon. But if Mormonism is false, I do not want any of you to be a part of that church. The Mormon church is currently made up of over 16 million members worldwide. At least that's what they have on their rolls. Their scriptures include the standard works, and they have four standard works. That includes the Bible. Now, they'll say the Bible, as long as it's translated correctly, what that means as long as it's translated by Joseph Smith. So they have the Bible, they have the Book of Mormon, they have the Doctrine and Covenants, and then they have the Pearl of Great Price. Now, there are many sects of Mormonism today, different groups who believe different things, but the largest would be the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the LDS Church. Mormonism is a homegrown, American-made religion founded by one man named Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith was born in 1805 and grew up in upstate New York. And in 1820, his family joined the Presbyterian Church. But something was troubling Joseph. He saw all this division that was out in the world in religion. Smith couldn't decide which church he should join. So as the story goes, young Joseph goes out into the woods and he begins praying to God, asking God, which church should I join? Which one's the right one? He then supposedly saw a vision a pillar of light, and he was instructed by these two beings in the pillar of light on what he should do. And then in 1823, he received a second vision, and then an angel named Moroni then appeared to him three times. Smith was then directed to two golden plates buried up on a hill called Camorra there in New York. These plates supposedly had the history of the former inhabitants of the Americas on them. Now, folks, there is a lot of really sketchy details, a lot of weirdness around how Smith translated the golden plates. Then the transcript that he originally created went missing, and then he had to retranslate the plates. There's a lot of weirdness, and no one actually knows where these plates even are right now. Supposedly, the angel Moroni appeared to Joseph Smith later on and took the plates back because they were no longer needed. Okay. The Book of Mormon was printed in 1830. And that is when Smith founded the Mormon Church. The church was then moved to Kirkland, Ohio. Now, some speculate that the Mormons were having a hard time so close to his hometown because of Smith's reputation. But regardless, they moved to Kirkland, Ohio. And over the course of the next several years, Smith, claiming revelation from God, said that God had given them land in Jackson County, Missouri. So he packs up the Mormon Church, and they are going to Jackson County, Missouri. Well, once they arrive there, they... They encounter the natives, and the natives really don't want them there either. And so they end up settling in far west Missouri, not Jackson County, Missouri. Something interesting, though. Um, Joseph Smith actually taught that the Garden of Eden was there located in Missouri. There is a lot more details to the life of Joseph Smith. But in short, he ended up moving to Illinois, moving his church to Illinois, where Smith was made lieutenant governor, and he had an army of 4,000 men. Now, they still faced a lot of trouble here in Illinois. 
So much so that Smith ended up destroying a local newspaper who was printing anti-Mormon articles. He was then arrested and jailed in Carthage, Illinois. And on June 27, 1844, Smith was shot and killed by in the jail by an angry mob. And that is the story of Joseph Smith. Now, that wasn't the, it's not the end of the LDS church. Brigham Young then took the reins. He's the second prophet of the Mormon church. He's the one that moved them to Utah, where they kind of are headquartered now. You may have heard of Brigham Young before, BYU University, Brigham Young University. Now, folks, I'm, I'm not going to dwell on this too much more this morning, but I do want to mention two things to you real quick before we move on. First, polygamy. Although the mainstream LDS church no longer practices polygamy or plural marriage, we know for sure that Joseph Smith practiced and taught polygamy. He had multiple wives. And from the LDS website, we know for sure that he had at least five wives. But that speculated the, high, the number is as high as 40. His youngest wife was a young lady named Helen Kimball, and she was 14 at the time. Secondly, racism. There is absolutely no place for racism in the body of Christ. And it just so happens, in the original teachings of Joseph Smith, and in the original teachings of Brigham Young, there's a lot of racism. Okay. Conveniently, the LDS church would reject that today, but it is what was taught originally. Now, what you see above me is a diagram of the Mormon belief system. I'm only showing you this so that you can understand how foreign what they believe is from what we have in the scriptures. So, in fact, the Mormons believe that there are different levels of heaven and different levels of hell. The best and highest level of heaven is called the celestial kingdom. Okay, that's where the best of the best Mormons go. Then you have the terrestrial kingdom. Okay, that is the good and honorable but blinded by the craftiness of men. We here today, if Mormonism is true, we're going to the, the terrestrial kingdom. And then finally, you have the telestial kingdom. Okay. You may look at that word telestial and go, that's a weird word. It is a weird word. It's because it's made up. Okay. Joseph Smith combined celestial and terrestrial and created the telestial kingdom. And then finally, you have outer darkness here at the bottom. This is where Satan and his demons are going to dwell for all eternity, in the outer darkness. And if you're a Mormon and you fall away from the Mormon church into apostasy, you get to go to outer darkness, but you will reign over Satan and his demons there in outer darkness. I think y'all are good, but me today, because I'm preaching against the Mormon church, I think I'm going down there. But, anyways. <clears throat> but, the point being, if you are good enough, if you work hard enough, if you are baptized into the Mormon temple, and you are sealed in marriage with your wife for all eternity in the Mormon temple then you can go to the celestial kingdom. And if you do all the things that the LDS church tells you to do, if you work hard enough, then you can become a god of your own universe someday. That's what they believe. And then the whole process starts over again with you in the driver's seat. You know, this reminds me a lot of a story that we find in Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. <clears throat> he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the, in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, May we eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden? But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, 
you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Here we have Satan telling the first lie that has ever been told. And the Mormons believe it full-heartedly. Do not be deceived, folks. Don't be deceived. Now, I understand if you look at me today and you go, Zach, there's no way that's what they believe. Guys, I'm not making it up. This is what Mormons believe. And I'm just going to show you real quick a quote from Joseph Smith himself. This is right before his death in 1844. What I'm about to read from is called the King Follett Discourse. It's a part of their Doctrine and Covenants. It's a part of Mormon scripture. So apparently there was a church elder. His name was King Follett. And by the way, there's a big difference between what the Bible teaches an elder is and what the Mormon church teaches an elder is. You can ask Brother Anthony about that after church. He knows all about it. But there's an elder of the Mormon church named King Follett. And apparently he was working in a well one day and a tub of rocks fell down and crushed him. And then they asked Joseph Smith to preach the funeral. And Sean, whenever you preach your next funeral, I don't recommend you use these sermon notes, okay? It is necessary we should understand the character and being of God and how He came to be so. For I'm going to tell you how God came to be God. We have imagined and supposed that God was God from all eternity. I will refute that idea and take away the veil so that you might see. Here then is eternal life to know the only wise and true God. You've got to learn how to be gods yourselves and to be kings and priests to God the same as all gods have done before you, namely by going from one small degree to another, from one small capacity to a great one, from grace to grace, from exaltation to exaltation, until you attain to the resurrection of the dead and are able to dwell in everlasting burnies and to sit in glory as do those who sit enthroned in everlasting power. Brothers and sisters, when I say this, please understand I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm just trying to be honest this morning. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is not Christianity. Here we have false teaching, false doctrine, and a false prophet, Joseph Smith. The Church of Latter-day Saints teaches that God became God by obedience to law. Like Smith says, from grace to grace, from exaltation to exaltation. And if you're feeling pretty uncomfortable right now with this quote on the screen, me too. What this means for the Mormon is that their God was once a man like you and I. In fact, the Mormons believe that the God of this world is a man named Elohim. They get that from the Hebrew. And they say that he lives on a planet circling a star named Kolob. I'm not making this up. It's on their website. But you see, because Mormons believe that we can all become gods, if you take that to its logical conclusion, that means that there is an infinite number of gods. It just keeps going and going. And because of this, the Mormons talk about Jesus as being one God amongst many gods. Mormons are not monotheistic like we are. They do not believe that there is just one God for all eternity. Now, they believe in a multiplicity of gods. In fact, they are probably the most polytheistic religion that's ever existed, an unlimited number of gods. Is that what the Bible teaches, folks? It's not. Psalms 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Isaiah 
43, verse 10, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. And you may know and believe me and understand that I am He. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. From everlasting to everlasting, no God before me, no God after me. Does that sound like there's more than one God? Paul, writing to the Corinthians concerning the issue of meats, sacrifice to idols, Paul says, Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. It's plain and simple. There is only one God who has existed for all of eternity, from everlasting to everlasting, no God formed before and no God formed after. And that is the difference between what the Mormons say about God and what the Bible teaches about God. An infinite number of gods versus one. It's two completely different belief systems. Secondly, the Mormons worship a different Jesus than we worship. They believe that Jesus is God's first and greatest creation. In fact, they believe that Satan is Jesus' brother. Now, in order to help me explain this, I'll flash the graphic up on the screen again. So once again, the Mormons believe that if you work hard enough, then through exaltation to exaltation, you can become a god someday. Okay? So you've got to go to the celestial kingdom, and you have to be good enough to make it to this inner part of the celestial kingdom, and then you get to start the whole process all over again from the beginning. At that point, you enter something called the pre-existence. In the pre-existence, you and your spirit wives, who are sealed together in the temple for all eternity, you and your spirit wives begin the process of having spirit children. It's called the pre-existence. And then once you and your spirit wives have had enough spirit children to populate your own earth, then you begin the process of creation and placing your spirit children into physical bodies on the earth. So from the Mormon perspective, their god named Elohim, who lives on a planet near a star named Kolob, in the pre-existence began the process of having offspring or spiritual children with his spirit wives. And as it turns out, his child from these spirit wives, his first child from these spirit wives, was a being named Jehovah, who was Jesus. Meaning that God created Jesus with his spirit wives in the pre-existence. Jesus, from the Mormon perspective, is a created being, God's first creation. Now, once again, you might say, Zach, there is no way that's what they believe. Well, I'm going to show you a quote from an article that I found on the LDS Church website. The article was titled, How Can Jesus and Lucifer Be Spirit Brothers When Their Characters and Purposes Are So Utterly Opposed? Here on the Mormon website, it says, Both the scriptures and the prophets, it's not talking about the prophets we found in the Bible, it's talking about Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, those prophets. The script, both the scriptures and the prophets affirm that Jesus Christ and Lucifer are indeed offspring of our Heavenly Father and therefore spirit brothers. So in Mormonism, Jehovah and Elohim are separate and distinct gods from one another. Furthermore, the Mormons also believe that after Jesus was born, Lucifer or Satan, was created by Elohim and his spirit wives, meaning they believe that Satan and Jesus are brothers. Folks, this could not be farther from the truth, farther from what the Bible actually teaches. 
Satan is an angel that fell from heaven. Jesus is not an angel. He is God in the flesh. He was there in the beginning. The Mormons worship a different Jesus than the one we find in our holy scriptures. So who is this Jesus of the Bible? We've gone through this already this morning. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is not a created being. He is not Satan's brother. Jesus is God in the flesh. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. It couldn't be laid out any more clearly for us in the Scripture. Now, with that being said, when you talk to a member of the LDS Church, there is a number of rabbit trails that you could go down. You could talk about the different levels of heaven and the different levels of hell. You could talk about the false prophecies of Joseph Smith. You could talk about the racism of Joseph Smith and Brigham Young. You could talk about polygamy. You could talk about baptism of the dead. You could talk about the pre-existence and spirit wives and spirit children. And sure, you can go down all those rabbit trails, but in the end, you're just going to be spinning your wheels and wasting a lot of time. Instead, I would recommend you focus on the key truths of what we believe as Christians. Who is God? Who is Christ? And what is salvation? Those are your goals. Those are your endpoints that you're trying to get to. Don't argue about polygamy with a Mormon. It's not going to get you anywhere. It's a dead end. And if you're going to say something about Joseph Smith being a false prophet or about polygamy, if you want to go down any of those rabbit trails, be ready to back it up with evidence. Because if you make an accusation and you don't have evidence to back it up, then you lose all credibility to the person you're speaking to. So just keep that in mind. In conclusion this morning... You know, when those two young ladies came and knocked on my door, I was pretty thrown off. To be honest with you folks, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to go to John 1. I didn't, I didn't know where that information was in my Bible. I wasn't ready to invite them into my home. And maybe you feel like you're in the same boat. And maybe you might get into a conversation with a Mormon and realize, wow, this guy knows Scripture better than I do. That's okay. Maybe you feel like you need to protect your faith and protect your wife and kids, so you just say, no, thank you, and you shut the door. That's okay, too. It's okay to be where you are at now in your spiritual walk, but do not stay there. Maybe that moment, maybe those young people, those young Mormon missionaries coming and knocking on your door is the Lord telling you something. Maybe the Lord is telling you, hey, it's time to get serious about your faith. It's time to open up this Bible and start studying the Scripture. Learn about who Jesus is and was. Learn about the God that we worship as Christians. Maybe the Lord is telling you that you need to be prepared. Be ready next time I send you into battle so that you can witness, so that you can defend the faith. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16-17 through 17, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Are you a man or woman of God this morning? All Scripture is breathed out by God for you. 
so that you may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Christians, we have been given this book, this Bible. God has preserved His Word over the centuries so that you might use it for teaching, for reproofing, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. Be ready. What's the Word of Truth that it talks about there? That's the Bible, the Word of Truth. We need to be able to rightly handle it like the Scripture says. The King James Version says, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. Young people, this applies to you as well. This applies to you as much as it applies to the oldest person in this congregation. Can you rightly divide the word of truth? We need to be able to do that. Fight for Christ. Fight for truth. Not physically, not by screaming and yelling at people, but with gentleness and love. But you know, Jesus Christ warned us about about false prophets during His earthly ministry. We need to be prepared to come in contact with false doctrine. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye workers of lawlessness. Folks, this is why this subject is important. That's why I'm talking about it this morning. It's important that we understand what the Bible teaches versus what the Bible does not teach. And on the day of judgment, we all know from Jesus that there will be people standing there going, Lord, I'm one of yours. I did all these great things in your name. And he's going to say, sorry, I never knew you. Depart from me. So when that Mormon knocks on your door, don't be rude. Don't slam the door in their face like I did. Love them. Try your best to direct them to truth. It doesn't mean that you have to invite them into your home. It doesn't mean that, but it does mean that you need to be able to give a defense for the hope that is in you. Be the servant of the Lord that we are all commanded to be. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26, and then we'll close. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Brothers and sisters, do not be quarrelsome. Don't just argue with people for the sake of arguing. We need to be kind to everyone able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting our opponents with gentleness. Why? So that God may perhaps grant them repentance, so that they'll repent, so that they will turn away from their false beliefs. And folks, you know it, and I know it. You turn on the TV, you go on Facebook for five seconds, 
people are messed up in the world. There's so much false doctrine, so much false belief out there in the world today. And we are surrounded by a world full of lost people. And you, as a servant of the Lord, need to be prepared. You need to be prepared to correct them with gentleness, patiently enduring evil. We need to be apt to teach. That's how the King James Version puts it. Apt to teach. We need to be ready. Why do we need to be ready? Verse 28. And they they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil. That is what it's all about, folks. There are people out in the world who are lost. And kind of like Tim says in his prayers, a lot of times we're going to be the only Bible people will ever read. So let's be ready. Let's share the love of Christ with them. Let's be apt to teach, ready to go. Okay. Now this morning, we never know what's going on in people's lives, but you may have some sin in your life. Maybe you feel like you're stuck. Maybe you feel like you're caught in the snare of the devil. We're ready to pray with you. We want to serve you. We want to love you. Or maybe you feel like you're ready to take that next step and die with Christ in the act of baptism. Die with Him in baptism and be raised to walk in newness of life. We would love to help you in that endeavor as well. If there be one of either case, we ask that you come to the front, take a seat on this front pew as we stand and as we sing. burden of sin There's power in the blood Power in the blood Would you be free?